All right, let's get serious. If your Bible is turned to Matthew 11, verse 30. Thank you, Dan. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, by the way, just in case you are wondering, I do know there's more than one verse in the Bible. We've been here for quite a long time. But again, who is saying this? Jesus. And it's an invitation. It's an invitation for anyone who is that with guilt, trying to earn their way, whatever it might be. And Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. And my burden light. Again, Christ is using it in a figurative, symbolic way. And we know, at least uh, from history, what uh, a yoke was used for. Uh, to, whether it be an oxen. I asked my dad just, just the other day, thinking about this lesson, had he ever uh, plowed with a, a team of mules. And he said, no, his dad did, but he had plowed. My dad himself, he was about seven years old, was plowing with a team of horses. And so they harnessed them together. It wasn't really a yoke, but they did harness mules and Forces together, but nonetheless, the idea is to work together to get the job done. Now, it's interesting. According to verse 30 and the previous verses, Jesus is offering an alternative here. We're either going to serve Him or serve Satan. And His invitation is to come to Him. Come to Him. Now, first of all, can He lie? So when he says his yoke is easy, his burden is light, we know that it's true before we even experience anything at all under the yoke of Christ. But I think about the alternative, again, we either serving Christ or serving Satan. And to think that Christ's yoke is easy, his burden is light, that tells me that serving Satan is not going to be easy. We think it is. And it is for a season but my, my goodness, the awful things that come for those who spend their life doing that. Uh, sin is a, is a deceiver. Satan is a deceiver. He's the father of liars. He's been a liar from the beginning. Um, sin is an awful taskmaster. We talked about that last week. And Jesus says, come unto me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. And my burden light. And we kind of touched on this thought last week on this one I'm about to talk about. But does that mean, since his yoke is easy, his burden is light, does that mean that once you get saved, all your problems go away? No. But I thought he said the yoke was easy and the burden is light. Do I now? Oh, yeah, isn't that true? If you live in this world, right? Second Timothy three twelve. Is that a maybe? No, shall suffer persecution. So we began this last week looking at uh, if you, those who find the yoke of Christ easy, there's certain principles that are true in their life. Number one. They live their lives from the principle of love. Again, we read this verse last week, but let's do it again tonight. Second Corinthians 
How many know the Apostle Paul? What did he go through? What do you say, Dan? Give me an example. Three times he was beaten, shipwrecked for day and night in the deep. And by the way, when Paul wrote this, the shipwreck hadn't happened yet. So did he know what he meant? Did he have any idea to talk about persecution? Thank you, Jason. Yes, he experienced that. Now, if you listen to some of these televangelists, they'll they tell you what, if you live for Jesus. Yeah, it'll all be great. It'll all be, that's not true. That is not true. So we know that the life that Paul lived, and but he says in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5, it was the love of Christ that constrained him. So everything Paul did was to honor who? Yeah. Not himself, but to Jesus, honor God. And certainly there was a, they, you know, his human companion had a fear for God. And that would be a motivator. But Paul says it's the love of Christ that controls our actions. That's why we still do what we do. How can we do anything less? And so if we love Christ and his yoke becomes easy when it's lined with love. And remember, why do we, well, let's go to 1 John 4, 19. That, this will answer my question. So why do we love him? Because he first loved us. Isn't that amazing? He loved us before we had any love for him. In fact, Paul would write to the church at Rome, he loved me while I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. So we find the yoke of Christ easy when we live our lives from the principle of love. Now remember, let me ask you a question. How much does Jesus love you? Amen. He loved us enough to die for us. No wonder Paul said the love of Christ constrains me. Now there are two motives for this service. And it comes from love, if you will. First of all, would you agree that if you love someone, you have a, de a desire to please them? Isn't that true? We have a desire to please them. In fact, the question of love is, what can I do to gratify you? What can I do uh, to show my affection? I want to please you because I love you. And when we think about this principle of love, isn't it true that love is always ready to do whatever it can to help someone? In fact, love regrets at times that it can't do more. So the principle of love gives us a desire to please. Does it matter how long it might take? 
if you love somebody? Does it matter how difficult it is if you love somebody? Does it matter how much it costs if you love somebody? I'm going way back to my high school days and our drama team, this would have been probably my sophomore, junior year, put on a production. In our, we had a pretty good sized amphitheater where I went to high school. And I don't remember the name of it, but in that production there was a song, and I forget the name of the song, but it, it said, I'll climb any mountain to get to you. I will cross any river you know, to get to you, blah, blah, blah. And then the song is over and the, and the play kicks back in. And the young lady says to the young man, will I see you Saturday? And he said, if it doesn't rain. <laughs> and that's sometimes how it is. But love has a desire to please. And it's interesting, folks. The unsaved don't understand that secret. They don't know that secret. They don't understand how in the world uh, we allow these principles to motivate us as Christians. They can't appreciate that. And so the unsaved, they're at a loss to understand why we no longer join them in the pleasures of sin. They don't understand uh, why we don't live the way we used to live And they really don't understand how in the world can you find any joy in reading this big, thick book. They don't get it. They simply don't understand it. Why in the world do you spend time in prayer? Why in the world would you uh, go to worship on a regular basis? Now, you hear me say it quite often. They think we're mentally off. We're not quite there, in their opinion. And, you know, their opinion would be, you know, if there is a God and I'm going to, if I'm going to get right with God, I'm going to wait till before I die, okay? Why spend your life doing that? But they miss the joy that we have because they simply don't understand why we do what we do. And I want to tell you, folks, it's the love of Christ. That constrains us. He's done so much for me. So one of the motives to the, uh, is the desire to please, if you love somebody. Second of all, the idea that you're, sh- you're, you're absolutely sure they will accept what you do. Now think about this. Whenever we are able to determine whether or not what we're doing is going to be acceptable the one we're doing it for. Now, if we're afraid of the one we're doing that work for, if we're not sure they'll appreciate our efforts uh, of what we're trying to do for them, uh, certainly uh, there'd be no joy and we might even not try to do whatever it might be. But we have very good reason to believe that what we do for God, He will accept. It's acceptable in his sight. Now, would you agree that when we, when we realize that, yes, what we do, God will accept, it makes it a lot easier to do it? 
knowing he will accept what we give him. And it's interesting. God will not overlook even the smallest service done in his name or even the slightest suffering that we experience for his sake. Mark chapter 9, look at verse 41. What's Jesus saying here? Amen. He'll accept it. Now, again, anything. I like that, Dan. He's saying even something as small as what? A cup of cold water. A cup of cold water. Jesus says, that person shall not lose their reward. So my question is, is God paying attention to the service we offer him? Sure. And he... You know, we have a desire to please him if we love him. We also know that it is acceptable unto him. So the yoke of Christ is easy if we live our lives from a principle of love. And second of all, if it's agreeable to our inclinations, if it fits us favorably. Uh, Most of you have heard of Esau. Uh, and Jacob, twins. And Esau had sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And just before his father died, I think that Esau would have done anything to please his father Isaac, wouldn't you? To get that blessing. But it's interesting Isaac knew his son. He knew his inclination. He knew his bent. And so what's he asked Esau to do? I want you to go out and hunt me some venison. Genesis 25, verse 27. So again... When his daddy asked him to get that venison, why was Esau so willing to do that? He was used to that. That fit who he was. Now remember, we've been preaching now on this for almost forever, but how many know that the day you got saved, you received from God a brand new nature? All of us did. And now that we're born again, We have become a partaker of his divine nature. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. Again, we got these precious promises, and the reason is that you and I can become partakers of God's divine nature. Now think about this. 
How many before you got saved love to read your Bible? Pardon me? Nobody does. Now, if you wanted to argue with somebody, maybe you might look up a verse or something. Uh, but you didn't want to read the Bible. And the only time you wanted to pray was when? When he's in trouble, right? Whatever. We enjoy doing that. But now we've got a brand new bent or inclination. And Peter reminds us it's because we've now been partakers of his divine nature. That is what has changed in our life. My grandfather, he used to love to travel. And he told me years ago, he said, you know, there are two types of people when it comes to that. Some people are goers and some people are travelers. And uh, he always enjoyed the back road, just traveling and things like that. But this is, you know, I'm going back to the, well, I remember in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. And every new car that he bought, he would always buy one of those compasses that mounted on the dashboard. Anybody ever seen one of them? And no matter which direction he was traveling, where did that compass point? Why? Yeah, the magnetic draw. That compass, if it's worth anything, could not help but point north. And because we have God's divine nature. Our spiritual nature always points toward the author of it. Because he lives in us. So it is for our new inclination, our new bent. And that's why God's word is our food. That's why we love communion with him And that's why his word, his law, now becomes our delight. Because our inclination points toward him. Would you agree it's a privilege to profess God's holy name? It surely is. His precepts are so wonderful to meditate upon. And I find myself throughout the day thinking of something and meditating on a principle from God's Word. And Paul reminds us that even suffering for Christ is a high, high, high. So the yoke of Christ becomes easy when we live our lives from a principle of love, and when what he asks is agreeable to our inclination, now we have that divine nature, we want to do those things. But also, the yoke of Christ is easy because God grants us the grace to wear it. Have you ever said to yourself, maybe you met someone or a friend of yours is going through a difficult trial, 
And you said, I could never go through that. Why do we say that? We all do. I would listen to a preacher today. I caught a little bit of a message. I think I might have been Chip Ingram. I'm not sure now. But he said, I've learned, I learned two principles early on in his ministry. Number one, God said, never said I could. God never said I could. Number two, God never said he couldn't. Isn't that true? And so we have to realize the yoke of Christ becomes easier when, he, when we realize that God will give sustaining grace to those who wear that cross. Now, I know we speak about grace, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and most all the time we think of it as God's unmerited favor. And it is. But grace also has a dual meaning. Not only is it God's unmerited favor, it is God's enabling in our lives. He enables us to do what we can never do on our own. And no matter what, if we were trying to serve a loved one or a friend, if we were somehow incapacitated or maybe crippled to do that, he simply would, you know, no matter how close we were to them, there may be some things that would hinder us from doing that. But when it comes to bearing the yoke of Christ, we can do it because Jesus supplies sufficient strength for us to bear that yoke. Don't have the verse in our notes tonight, but you remember the time after Paul was caught up to the third heaven. Now, I realize Paul doesn't say who it was, but it was him, if you study it out. And he heard some things that were not lawful for him to repeat. And then Paul said that God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Remember that story? And Paul prayed three times, Lord, remove this thorn. Did God remove the thorn? No, but what did God say? My grace is sufficient. 